And now, Stacey Washington. Well, I gotta say, I really echo those comments of uh, hoping that the Congress can come up with a deal. I just saw, fresh out just moments ago, a piece over at the Hill where uh, Mick Mulvaney is saying they're going to build a wall no matter what. They've got the funds set aside. And even if Congress comes up with $1.5 to $2.5 billion, which that also has been something that's been floated by congressional Democrats who want to get out from under this, they're talking about doing that too. And if that's the way they go, the president will just reallocate funds from elsewhere within the government. But uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to see the Democrats try to, try to move around on this and just they don't know which way to go. They don't know which way is up. They're, they're not sure how they can get what they want, yet get what they want, yet not give the president anything that he wants. Public sentiment is not with them right now. The president's poll numbers have actually popped. Uh, he's looking at 50, 52 percent, depending on which poll you're looking at. That means the American people are ready to move on. They don't see a benefit to having a second government shutdown. And they also don't see a benefit to continuing to fight over something that's pretty logical. And day after day, we see stories coming out of families who've lost loved ones to illegal alien crime. And I know for a lot of Americans who really are partisan, they don't care about that. But for Americans who don't have a partisan bent and are not really just, you know, bowing down to the Democrats, uh, there has to be a moment where you say to yourself, "Mm, well, if we could prevent that by just having a little more border barrier... Maybe that's what we should do. So welcome to the show today, everybody. Monday, uh, we've had such an interesting weekend. We had horrible freezing weather here in St. Louis and the, and the Midwest, generally speaking, which ended up with some churches canceling services. And just it, it's just been a really interesting weather time. And I'm not usually one to do a whole lot of complaining about it, but I want the mild weather that we had before. We'd been promised global warming. I thought we were getting some. And then here we are. I want the global warming I was promised. I've asked before, I'll ask again, just resubmitting my request for uh, the global warming that they were to, and I know now they're saying it's climate change. I know they've changed their minds. I know they're not honorable, but anyway. So today on the program, we're gonna be speaking with, uh, we're really, this is a real fantastic get for us as a guest. Her name is Magdalene Rose. She is on Twitter and she did this viral video about the origins of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's online viral success. Now, you might be thinking, you said we were going to talk about her. Well, we're not going to talk about Alexandria. We're going to talk about what we've seen in the way of her viral campaigns and her ability to really move and shape opinion online, which has given her a considerable amount of power, where a lot of people want her to retweet them. They want to deal with her on their television shows. They want her on their radio programs. Because they feel that if they can get her on, she can share some of that momentum from social media with them. Now, I know, personally speaking, I have found that sometimes you can get a little bit of traction from someone else retweeting you or sharing what you have. That is indeed how you go viral. But it's interesting because that's not the phenomenon that she's engaging in. People aren't going to say, oh, she's on this show. Let's follow that show. Let's spend time on that show. People are there for AOC if they're there for AOC. So it's, it's a single channel, single like, it's a, it's a following that she has. But she built it up, not completely on her own. And, and you know, I don't believe in that whole, you, built, you didn't build that stuff, but she has had help. And so that's what this viral video that Magdalene Rose actually shot on Periscope, uh, it explains the origins of that. And I think it's important for us to note because her chief of staff, AOC's chief of staff, is actually very well connected up within the hardcore left ideological spectrum, which means that there are things we can kind of knit together and learn from the history behind the rise. So it's super important for us to talk about that. We'll have her on and we're going to be discussing, obviously, the poll numbers, Uh, the 42 million Latin Americans who were asked in a poll, would you like to live in the U.S.? Um, Yeah. 42 million of them said, yeah, and 5 million are planning on moving here by hook or by crook um, within the next 12 months, 5 million more Latin Americans. That is just under the population of the entire state of Missouri, just in case you're wondering, where will these people go? I always talk about how there's plenty of room in the United States, and we do have plenty of room. 
But when I say we have plenty of room, I'm speaking of we don't need population control. We don't need to you know, tell everybody to have only one child or two kids and, and then start aborting everybody else. We don't need that. We have plenty of room. But the room I'm talking about is for citizens, American citizens, um, legal, lawful immigrants. And everybody else needs to just get out. Go back to where you came from and wait. Because if you're coming in here and you're not doing so legally, you're basically an affront to all of us who are here and our taxpayers. And that is not something I'm willing to be educated on or I don't, I don't need anybody to teach me anything. I don't need anybody to share links or documents with me. I'm standing firm on that because that's the law. And I never see uh, that, you know, if you get pulled over for speeding or for your tags not being in date, the police officer doesn't say, okay, I think you're breaking the law. Change my mind. <laughs> or show me some research as to why you exceeding the speed limit by seven. It's not really as offensive as I find it to be because I'm looking to, you know, I'm looking to give you a ticket right now. No one ever gives Americans the chance to change the mind of the legal system on any issue. It's just immigration where we're supposed to say, you know what? I've changed my mind. Everyone who's here unlawfully gets to stay. Anyone who was brought here unlawfully as a kid should get to stay and be an American citizen and vote. And, you know, welcome to the new America. Why is it only them who they, they get this different treatment? So first off, I want to get into our daily confession, which I thought this was super encouraging for me. And I hope it will be for you too. It's Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Stand firm in the Lord. So the verse before that is, let your gentleness be apparent to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be apparent to all. The Lord is near. Now, this is not an invitation to be walked all over or to, you know, anytime someone confronts you, you just bow down and okay, fine. You know, this, this is not an invitation for pansy Christianity, but it is about gentleness of spirit, meekness of mind, and a heart that leans towards others. And so it says, be anxious for nothing right after that built in, but in everything by prayer and and petition with Thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God. This is verse seven, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if we allow our gentleness to be apparent to all, the Lord is always near. Then we can be anxious for nothing and we can pray about situations, be they tiny, teeny, tiny little ones or big ones, big situations that are really we, we understand our frailty and we can't handle them ourselves. We present our requests to God, knowing that he is more than able to do above all that we dare ask or think according to the power, which works in us, which is the Holy spirit and that he will do it. He is the chain breaker, the prayer answerer, the way maker. He provides a means of escape for us when we're tempted and he stands with us when we are in need. He's always near. He's always available to us. So a couple of uh, additional scriptures to go with that. Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And, and we all know how hard it is to, to traverse a crooked path. And the crooked path is obviously a euphemism for a life full of twists and turns and the way is never clear or straight because of sin and the impacts of sin. So we want to avoid that and have a straight path, which the path can only be straight when it is made so by God. And the last scripture reference I'll give to you, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Um, it is. As much as I, I enjoy, you know, the uh, new cowgirl boot purchase and, you know, all that, all that goes with that, the most important condition is that of the heart and the way to have our heart condition be right is to continually look to God. And so this is super encouraging. It's Philippians. I'll, I'll expand that. Philippians 4, 5 through 7. 5 through 7, which is what I shared. This is awesome. So uh, praise God for that. And, and I hope that you're encouraged by it. So now let's talk about these new, um, it's just like every day there's a new candidate on the D side. Kirsten Gillibrand, who is, in my opinion, she's, she, she actually looks a little bit like Hillary Clinton. She's blonde. Um, she's, she's actually one of those people that, you know, she's been under the radar enough. She's had a few, like if you pay attention to the news a lot, she's had some very, very offensive moments. 
But if you're a mainstream American with just, you know, a tertiary uh, absorption of news, Kirsten Gillibrand might look like someone safe who she's not a Republican. She's on the left, clearly, but she's not a crazy Democrat. Well, here she is dispelling that myth for you with her own mouth. She was asked about eliminating private health insurance. That means your employer-based plan, your plan that you have in a co-op, the plan that you may be accessing through your own work as an individual, individual contractor, anything you've negotiated with the private health insurer would be eliminated. That's 177 million Americans uh, who would basically be shunted onto Medicare. Listen to her talk about this. It's, it's unbelievable. It's number three. One of the debates we've had recently is around what happens to private insurance. Should ending private insurance as we know it be a Democratic Party goal? And do you think it's an urgent goal? Oh, yeah. It is a goal and an urgent goal, but let me explain. I ran on Medicare for All in 2006 in my upstate New York two-to-one Republican district. And the reason I ran on that message was because I listened first. I traveled around the district, asked people what's on your mind, what's your worry. Overwhelmingly, they said, I'm worried about access to health care. So her interpretation of families in upstate New York saying they're concerned about access to health care, which if you think about it, um, they were concerned about it because the Democrats ran on it as an issue and made it sound as if most Americans didn't have access, when in reality, it was a very small segment of Americans between 15 and 30 million Americans who just didn't have access. And they didn't have access because the kind of slim, bare-bones plans that 20-year-olds like to access, that people in between 20 and 30 like to access, it's just something to get you over the hump until you get your first job or until your business takes off. Those kinds of plans are not as palatable to a family of, you know, two adults, a child, or a mom and two kids or what have you. And so if you're working but your employer doesn't provide health insurance, you were caught in kind of a no zone, a no man's land, and you needed something. And so the Democrats started promising that the government would give that something to people. And then she, taking it upon herself to talk to constituents and voters and say, hey, what are you concerned about? Americans began to take this on as a concern, whether they had health insurance or not. They were convinced that there were just, you know, maybe 50, 70, 100 million Americans who didn't have health insurance when the true number was between 15 and 30 million. So then Kirsten Gillibrand's answer is it's it's really, you know, it's like slap. You, you take a, a Peugeot, a, you know, 1960 Peugeot, and it's just like barely running and you go out and pry off a Mercedes Benz logo or a BMW, uh, you know, the emblem, and you just you know, uh, use the bear glue, the, the, the glue that glues anything, and just slap it on the Peugeot and call it done. Well, that Peugeot is not going to run like a new BMW. It's not going to run like a BMW at all, if it runs at all. You can't just take a sticker off something and slap it on something else and make it work well like the original item. You can't take Medicare and make it work like private health insurance. And this is something that we keep seeing. Over and over and over again, the Democrats keep saying they can take health insurance and provide it to you for the, through the government, and you'll like it. We have Obamacare. People don't like that. How do they expect to make Medicare for all something we'll like? She's too extreme to be the president of the United States. Sorry, she's just too extreme. So right now I want to go to something really important that we're doing this week, and it's the rescue of a child. Provide a day of safety in India's red light districts. Go now to 877-616-2396 by your phone or your cell phone, 877-616-2396, or go to AFR.net and give online. We need you to partner with us. India Partners is rescuing children in the Mumbai Red Light District, and you can provide one day of safety for $7.08. AFR.net to join us. We'll be right back. Like, I wanted to have the abortion because I was trying to hide the situation. When a young mom in crisis walks into a preborn pregnancy center, she's welcomed with open arms and given love, support, and a free ultrasound to meet her unborn baby. This young woman not only chose life for her baby, but heard the message of Jesus Christ and was comforted from the guilt and pain that plagued her. Preborn centers lead the nation in providing free ultrasounds. When an abortion-minded woman sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and 100% of your sponsorship goes towards saving babies. 
To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a legacy moment. All of us are familiar with the line, it's better to light a candle than it is to curse the darkness. I couldn't agree with that more. Have you noticed how easy it is for us to be negative about stuff? Knowing what's wrong will not necessarily correct anything. Even among Christians, there's so much negative talk about the world, about how bad things are. Certainly things are bad, but the critical question is, what are we going to do about it? The choice we have is that we can either become discouraged, disgruntled complainers, or we can go to God and ask Him to show us what He wants us to do, and then get up and do it. I love the way Paul took action in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, when he went to Athens. Verse 16 says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now stop right there. He could have said, Hey, look, you see how bad things are? Idols are all over the place. People are messed up. They're confused. Look how awful it really is. But listen to verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul didn't just sit down and complain about how awful and godless this society is. Look at how bad it is. No, he determined, I I need to light a candle. I need to let God use me to provide his supernatural solution for the sinfulness of this society. Here's what I want you to remember today. When you see something that disturbs you, Why not pause and ask God what he would have you to do about what you see? More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Join Crawford tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. I'm so excited to speak to our next guest. She and I actually, I, I, I just saw her viral video on um, Periscope. And as I was watching it and listening to the research, I just got drawn in. I, I couldn't believe how much there was for me to know that I was completely unaware of as it pertains to the rise of Ocasio-Cortez uh, in, in politics and, and how she's being allowed to shape so much of what Americans really think is important to talk about and she's been given a complete it's just like a a a blanket of protection an iron dome of protection from having her ideas questioned and tested for their veracity so this next guest I'm I'm so excited to speak to her first of all she's young we're talking like um, she could probably be good friends with uh, our older college daughter and I'm not saying that because it's a bad thing I'm saying it, because this is the cutting edge of new media and journalism is young people like our next guest coming out and really exposing things. And we have to give that kind of journalism a voice and a space for us to hear and discuss it. And that's why I'm excited to introduce our next guest. It's Magdalene Rose. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so let's talk about this. You you have this viral video, which I saw, okay? And I was blown away by the detail that you share in the video. And I want to get to that information. But first off, what made you look into this? Why were you interested in the background to the social media phenomenon that is AOC? Well, I was interested because I always see conservatives in my news feed, certain ones talking about her brilliance in social media and how she could be president and everything. And from where I was looking at her interviews, at the way she was talking in, in talking on the floor of the house, I just didn't believe that. I didn't believe that she was this social media genius in private, but yet this not policy genius in public. And I wanted to know more about her background other than that she was a bartender and that she had gone, I think, to Boston University. I wanted to know who was really behind her because I didn't believe that she was behind herself. So that is fantastic analysis. You basically, you, I don't believe my lion eyes. There's something going on here. There's something more to this because yes. 
it, it stands to reason, right, Magdalene, that if she was so brilliant to be able to create the the just out of nowhere, she literally was no one. She's bartending. Next thing you know, she's got, you know, half a million followers on Twitter and she's winning a primary with just 14,000 votes. So it was a tiny little election. But then all of a sudden, she's now presumptively a member of Congress because there is no challenger on the Republican side. What did you find? I found that not only did she not speak out to become a member of Congress or to win a primary, and I give her the credit. I mean, unseating somebody in a district like that is an accomplishment, but it wasn't her accomplishment. She didn't seek to do this. Her chief of staff had to convince her to stop bartending. So I found not only that she is not truly attached to the ideas that she's espousing, but she's not even attached to what she's doing. So you're you're saying, I just want to make sure that the listeners are getting this. You're saying, Magdalene, that she's bartending and living her life there. She's she, We all know she's got a, a great education, but she's yeah. she's bartending and she's really living the life. She's having a good time and enjoying herself. And then she's approached to do this. And at first, she's not on board. She's like not even yeah. really into this. She, she likes where she is. Yes. And her brother nominated her for the organization that eventually found her to the run. Very similar to how girls are nominated by their friends and family on The Bachelor to date The Bachelor. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So... So now we've got her in there. She's been nominated. She's reluctantly going along with it because she's like, I mean, what what could happen? I'm not going to unseat this guy. But then what? Who who steps in at that point? At that point, Sakit Chakabarty, her chief of staff, who was the head of one of the heads of technology for Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign, and Corbin Trent, who was one of the people in charge of Sakit's organization, Justice Democrats. You know, they step in and they start to use their considerable knowledge to make her presence in local social media known. So in, they make her known within the circles of the state representatives in her area. And they start to build her persona and they create viral, they created her viral announcement video, which was seen, I think, a million times. And they get her some press that way only in her district, really. So nationally, the DNC doesn't really know this is happening. Joe Crowley is not aware. He's focused on the speaker race. And all of a sudden, Joe Crowley is out, and we have this, like, socialist crazy person in charge. <laughs> Which I'm not even sure if she really believed that, because isn't there some kind of documentation that at one point she liked William Buckley? Yes. In college, she is somebody who, like, liked William Buckley, talked about the greatness of capitalism, was very involved in, in charities and altruism. And then it seems like she becomes a bartender and all of that goes away. And I think every conservative knows that if you make it through college as a conservative, you're most likely going to continue being a conservative. So I, 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 so I'm, I'm still in a state of shock a bit, Magdalene, I'll be honest with you. Because I just assumed that this was this ideological chick who went to Boston College and the whole time she was there, she was noticing how difficult it was for, you know, certain groups of people, maybe the lunch ladies or the cafeteria people. And she just was really a bleeding heart liberal, as many of us are in our 20s. Right. She she goes through. She graduates. She starts tending bar and she realizes that even with her education, she's not doing what she thought she would do. And so she starts to maybe dance a little bit with socialism. So I just assumed that that was the story because that's been the story for so many other Democrats of prominence. And that what we saw was someone who really used her educational background to create these viral moments and capitalized on her youth and, and her, you know, her, the nature of her looks that she's attractive and that she used that to create this upset that was something that sometimes people are just in the right place in the right moment and they work hard enough and they have a little bit of, you know, what some people call luck, but whatever you call it, it all comes together with a synergy. And then suddenly you're in Congress. It doesn't happen a lot, but that's how I assumed it happened. And you're saying it's the opposite of that. We're looking yes. at a totally made creation. Yeah, it's a totally made creation. And what's really interesting is that they tried to do this to keep Corbin Trent's organization with 10 other candidates in other districts across the United States. That were um, with that they thought were winnable, and of the ten uh, of the um, in, in total eleven, she was the only one to succeed. So not only is she a creation, she's not even 
percentage-wise a successful creation because they failed with the 10 other seats they targeted. Okay, so this is where it really gets interesting, Magdalene, because your research, you, you didn't just look into her. You looked into the whole phenomenon. If they could have, they would have 10 or 11 Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's, just different versions of her, in Congress yeah. right now spouting off socialism, but they were only able to pull off one. Yes, and they were only able to pull off this one, I genuinely believe, because Crowley was so focused on the speaker's race and the leadership races, because he's got their to take the House, that he didn't even send, he sent other people to debate her. So what happened was the people in her district sort of saw that as elitism, and that's not a district that is majority white. It is, it is a minority district, and they identified with her. But Sikid, Corbin Trent could not recreate that in the other districts they targeted. <laughs> okay, so... What happens now? So, because what you're what you're describing is something out of one of those cool movies. We've we've all seen these movies before. You know, they come straight out of Hollywood, and it's some brazen, brilliant, you know, un, underestimated upstart, usually a woman, and she comes into a law firm or some business, and everyone thinks she's just going to kind of you know date the boss's son and and go off into that good night. And instead, by the end of the movie, she's the CEO or she's busted down a huge utility company or something like that. And that's what this Ocasio-Cortez's story is being made out to. I saw that Netflix purchased a documentary about her and the other new members of Congress for $10 million. So they're not letting this go. She's not going away. What, what do we expect and how can we stop this from being the new norm, these created candidates? I think we can expect her to tear the Democrat Party apart in Congress. When she went after Hakeem Jeffries, the, um, the Black Caucus rebuffed that very quickly. This is not a woman who is sitting there thinking about world domination. Sikki and Corbin Trent are, but she's not. And to, to raise herself to the level that people think she's going to be, you have to be ambitious on your own, and she's not. I think the way we can stop this is we can pay attention in primary season to the candidates the Democrats are nominating and the groups behind them. Justice Democrats is behind the woman who recently made those anti-Semitic comments, Omar, they backed her. Back Rashida. So we have to make sure that the candidates that Justice Democrats are backing are not getting voted in in Democrat primaries. And we have to make sure that when we, you know, are attacking the candidate, and this is what I was talking about when I was watching all these conservatives talk about if she was going to be president, that when we're attacking the candidate, we're making sure the content the candidate and the laws the candidate are is trying to push are actually their own, because in her case, they're not. And I believe in Rashida's case, they're not. And in Omar's case, they're not. So the other two that you've mentioned, uh, Omar, she's all over the news mm -hmm. today. People are angry with her on both sides of the aisle because she keeps saying things about Jewish people. It's like she can't stop. It's like she's got this weird, awful obsession with saying awful things about, about, about Jewish people, like not just Jewish Americans. She doesn't really talk about Jewish Americans at all. She talks about Israel. She's so into bashing Israel that she's made a statement that is really, really like it's the like the tip of the spear in anti-Semitism. Today, they're castigating her, Democrats and Republicans, for saying that uh, the Jewish state pays for American support. So anyone who's supporting the Jewish state is doing so because they're paid. That is very offensive, and she's getting backlash for it. But she's another one who's basically just a sock puppet. Not not she doesn't know anything on her own. Yes, I think that. In her case, her, you know, I wrote about this in a tweet earlier, her obsession with Israel does come from her. But the other policies that she espouses, the socialism, the fact that she wants, you know, a complete allowance for anyone to come in the country, those are policies that Justice Democrats back and have used her as a mouthpiece because the left and people in the media are so obsessed with diversity that they will, you know, protect her. But I think that in terms of when she criticizes Israel, that genuinely comes from her heart. She has a strange obsession with, I mean, she is a new member of Congress. There are other things she's been talking about in terms of economics that she can't allow herself, I think, even like emotionally to move away from criticizing Israel. Hmm. So I, I agree with you that, that the, she has a hatred for Israel that is something that's kind of indicative of the, um, it's mainstream Islam. I mean, I've, 
it's it's so hard to talk about because I know there are um, Muslim Americans who don't practice that form of Islam and are, are very much patriotic Americans, but there are many, many millions of, of Muslims who believe in the things that Omar says, and they don't see anything wrong with her talking like that and being a Congress member. So when you look at the three of them, do you see, Magdalene, do you see them uh, kind of creating more trouble than they're worth within the Democrats? Or is that the point? Tear it down, blow it up, and then remake it for the Democratic Socialists? I think it's a double-edged sword for Democrats. In some cases, yes, they are definitely more trouble than they're worth. And I think many Democrats, even very far-left Democrats, would agree with that. But on the other side, they need them to rile up the base, to oust Republicans in purple districts, to oust Republicans who voters, you know, are a little weary of their relationship with Trump. So Democrats can't abandon them because if they abandon them, Democrat primary voters are going to say, well, you know, then we're just going to not vote or we're going to back even more extreme candidates. So Nancy Pelosi is in a very difficult position because this is not what it was in 2010 for Republicans with the Tea Party. This is not a new wave of, of people who just want to go back to the original way things were done in government. This is either radical people who seek to change the bedrock of American government. And they want to do it by upending kind of the same. We've, we've seen some of these cries. I've even said them myself. I'll admit, Magdalene, I've said, you know, the establishment wing of the Republicans needs a, you know, overall overhaul, needs changing. Um, and so in doing that, President Trump has really been instrumental in, in putting a stop to it. Like, not, not a stop, but implementing this new idea of, look, let's get back to the people. Let's get back to serving constituents. Let's stop, you know, being a part of Washington. Let's stop being a part of the swamp. They want something similar for the Democrats, only it doesn't benefit Americans. Right. It doesn't benefit America. And I think what has oh, what has been happening with the left is there is a strange alliance of this form between socialists, people who want to be radical, people who want to upend the bedrock of America. And this alliance isn't strong. It's not even as strong as what you have with establishment and Tea Party Republicans who genuinely don't generally don't want socialism. But this alt-left alliance has made it very difficult for Democrats to govern because if they don't have that group of primary voters that adhere to the alt-left alliance, they're not going to get reelected. So we're seeing that with the border wall negotiations, aren't we? Because it wouldn't have been a big deal for Nancy Pelosi to strong arm the president into opening the government and then give him the money that he's asking for. But now they're stuck between a rock and a hard place where they actually can't say yes because of the people you're talking about. Yes, they can say yes. And I genuinely think Nancy Pelosi would like to have a good record as speaker. I think that's always been very important to her. And she's between a rock and a hard place now because how do you look, you know, the Democrat primary voters in the eye that got you the House and say to them, we're going to give him money for the wall when that was the rallying cry, the rallying cry that got them the House? How do you do that? And then to Republicans, to Democrats like Connor Lamb, and people in those districts, how do you look your constituents in the eye and say, we will not compromise on any border security because people like Ocasio-Cortez are now running the show? Mm. So I, I want to give everybody just, uh, the, I think the most important, and it's been such a good interview. And I, I want to, if you're just tuning into the show, um, we are chatting with Magdalene Rose. You can find her on Twitter. Um, she has this amazing tweet feed where you can go through and read some of what she's talking about now and have this to kind of refer back to. You can retweet her. You can also share the information on Facebook. But I want to just, I want to make sure we're clear. It's an organization that's promoting these hard left Democrats and their aim is not what we think it is. And if you want to know more about it, you have to follow Magdalene Rose on Twitter. Um, I'm following her. I've retweeted her. Go there and check it out. Thank you for joining the show today. I hope we can have you back to talk more about this. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Talk to you again soon. You know, sometimes when you hear the music, you're like, whoa, I wasn't done. Anyway, we'll be back with your calls, 866-963-2037, right after this. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Hall of Fame wide receiver Tim Brown tells a great story about returning home to Dallas after a standout rookie season and becoming the first wide receiver to win the Heisman Trophy. In his mother's front yard stood a sign that said, Welcome home, Heisman Trophy winner and Pro Bowler Tim Brown. Tim greeted his mother at the door. 
When Tim asked why the banner was hung outside, his mom smiled and said, because all of this is going to stay outside. When you come inside, you're not going to be that person. You're going to be Timmy, not Tim Brown. Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Tim Brown was an uncommon player with even more uncommon humility. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon Book Series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. My name is Dorian. I finally came to Teen Challenge when the combination of alcohol and my epilepsy medication caused two grandma seizures in one night. But now, because of this program, I've been sober for a year. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. The Christian life is a battle. A wise soldier puts on the whole armor of God so that he is able to stand against the wicked schemes of the devil. We can have victory over the enemy when we go into the battle, not dependent on our strength, but dependent on the strength of Almighty God. The Hour of Intercession with Joseph Parker, weekday afternoons at 1 Central on Urban Family Talk. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Lawmakers have until Friday night at 11.59.59 p.m. Eastern Time to forge an agreement to avoid another government shutdown. There are two major concerns. The first one is time. The House of Representatives has a firm 72-hour rule where they have to post the text of a bill before members can vote on a package. Then there are worries that even if there is an accord, President Trump won't sign the measure. Mr. Trump has gone back on his word before. Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Richard Shelby had a positive meeting with the president late last week, but everyone wonders if the president will renege as he did in December with the stopgap spending bill. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell felt burned. Generally, lawmakers are optimistic, but one senior source said they were more pessimistic than they had been. Besides President Trump's signature, the other linchpin to a deal is House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Lawmakers at the margins, hard left or hard right, probably wouldn't support the deal. They either vehemently oppose the wall or want a wall. But there is a big sweet spot in the middle, a coalition of Democrats and Republicans. And Pelosi knows that a vote for border security is good for her freshman members. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'd like to do a shout out to President Trump because I'm 100% behind him on his deal on the wall and securing the border. You know, he also needs to look at cutting off all the money for sanctuary cities because all that does is let these illegal aliens back into our society to commit more crimes. And I know President Trump has looked into the eyes of angel dads and angel moms like me. He knows the pain. He knows the hurt that we've gone through. He knows the suffering that is being caused to the American citizens. My question for the House and Congress is, you know, uh, my daughter was hit and she was so badly hurt that they wouldn't even let my wife and I identify the body. Her legs were broken in eight different places. She's had five skull fractures. She had 10 broken ribs and a punctured lung. And she died at the scene. You know, that's something that I have to live with and my family has to live with every day. You know, if Miss Pelosi and Mr. Schumer's daughter or son were hit and killed by an illegal alien, I can guarantee you that funding would have been there months ago for this wall in security right. for our border. Uh, and that's an angel dad talking about losing his daughter to an, an illegal alien, basically killing her with his car, uh, just destroying her body. And he does make a good point there. And I'm one of those ones where I don't, I don't like dragging other people's kids into stuff. Like, I don't, I don't like it when people say, well, if it was your kid, you know, I'll d- keep those curses to yourself. Don't start with me. But what he's saying as an example, because he's lost his child, is pretty true. Um, the, the reason that, you know, a lot of these Democrats who are in leadership Specifically, their their children are insulated from this because they are wealthy and they don't live in areas where there are large numbers of illegal aliens. That's worth pointing out. So uh, right now, I want to go to the phones. It's always such a pleasure to speak to uh, to our guests, uh, which are our permanent guests are the callers, listeners who call into the show. Uh, and I want to point you one more time. I, we we have to do this. I have to I have to 
let you know about this, especially for people who are just tuning in. And that's the nature of uh, appointment radio, which this show is because we're on from 2 to 4 p.m. Central, is that you, you know, you're coming into the show and you're listening as an appointment because we're not drive time, not until 3 p.m. So um, rescue a child, provide a day of safety in India's red light districts. Give now by going to 877-616-2396 or AFR.net. It's 877-616-2396 or AFR.net. We would be so grateful to have you partner with us. $7.08 provides one day of safety for a child in India's in Mumbai, India's red light districts. Uh, thank you for that. And India Partners is uh, the organization that provides this wonderful um, care and, and safety for these kids. And so we're so excited to partner with them this week and bringing this information to you and asking for your help and support. And so right now, I am really excited to go to the phones. I love chatting with our callers. Jake, thank you for calling the show today. Thank you, Stacy. I was uh, riding around, and I thought a little bitty short sun that might help the president. I mean, it's 60 seconds. That's all it is. You got enough time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> you, got to, you got to know when to fold up. No when to walk away, no when to run, never lean on that Pelosi. Just ask the American people, we'll help you build a wall. How do you like that, Stacey? I, you know, I got to say, you, you have a nice voice there, you know? And, and I like the, the putting in of the specific people. I think the president should listen not just to you, but to... There's millions of Americans who've already given to GoFundMe's. There's, uh, you know, a lot of people who've talked about militias going down and using money that they've gathered to build sections of the wall. There's, there's not a lack of people who want to help. The issue is that we have this government that's so big and so ridiculously large that everything has to go through it. And because of that, then we're stuck when we have people who don't want to work. And that's the Democrats right now. And I know that there are people out there who are, you know, they're church going good folks. But if you're supporting the Democrats and the Democrats are supporting the lawbreakers, there's something wrong with that picture. You know, um, thank you so much for calling in the show and, and sharing that little uh, song with us. And I like to make up little ditties, too. I don't do it anymore. But when the kids were small, I used to make up a new it was a little jingle and it was a bedtime jingle that I'd heard that I'd been singing to them I would basically sing it out at the bottom of the stairs and then they would they'd all be in one of their rooms or they'd be downstairs in the basement playing and so I would sing the little song and then they would know it's time to come upstairs and start getting ready for bed and then I stopped singing it then I started actually making up new ones I'd hear a little song or a little commercial during the day and I'm like oh I'm using that I'm using that uh that music like the the little riff there and I'm gonna have a different one I even went so far, which you guys will never hear me do this in public, but I used to even do a little rap to get them to go to bed. And my husband would beatbox and I would do rapping. Um, I only did that a couple of times, but they thought that was hilarious because obviously that's just not my natural mode, rapping, stuff like that. Um, you know, just, just being honest. So um, I love, I love jingles. I loved making them up for the kids and they were really fun. And I, it does give us a little bit of lightness of heart about an issue that has been so serious and has been so, it's kind of depressing. I mean, as Christians, we're not supposed to get depressed about these issues. We're supposed to take it all to God in prayer. And we can do that. doesn't mean that as human beings, we don't still feel the pressure. And that ultimately, the just, it's just such a disgusting situation to have to be in month after month after month. And doing radio, talking about this issue, I remember talking about it when I was on Saturday night radio. Now, after going to Sunday night radio and then Monday through Friday radio for an hour. And now here, it's kind of amazing that this is still the same issue. It's still American kids, wives, husbands, daughters, sons, uncles, aunts, Americans being killed by illegal aliens. And we still have people in Congress who don't want to deal with it, don't want to talk about it, don't want to allow it to be taken care of. Um, so... The president actually was tweeting, and we, we have two stories I want to get to here. First off, the Democrats have actually come out with a couple things that they would like to see in any new deal pertaining to border wall funding. And one of the things that they're looking for, and I just, again, wow, where, where are we? The Democrats want to limit the number of beds that are available in the United States to house illegal aliens who've been convicted of crimes. 
you, yes, you heard me right. Cause you're probably, if you're driving or if you're like, if you're multitasking, you're like, what'd she say? I, the Democrats want to say, here's a cap on the number of bed space that you can have for illegal aliens who've committed crimes. So in other words, when we run out of bed space, it's the same as when in California they have prison overpopulation. And when they reach a place where they can't house any more criminals, what they'll do is they'll say, well, we have, you know, let's say, for example, 10 murderers that we need to incarcerate. So we're going to let 10 people who've dealt drugs free so we can put these 10 murderers in. And so people get let out of prison because there's literally not enough room to house everybody. Well, that's the situation we have with illegal aliens who've committed crimes in this country. We don't have enough bed space to house them all the way that they should be housed. In other words, so they can be deported. They have to be housed and they have to have a bed to sleep in at night. We can't just cram them in there where there's more people than there are beds. We have to do things lawfully. So what the Democrats are saying is let's limit the number of beds that we're paying for, space that we're allocating for illegal aliens who are criminals for deportation. And so if you're if you can't believe that, neither can I out of all the things they can ask for, out of all of the demands they could make and get the president to agree to for the five point seven billion, they're going for the criminals. So here's what the president had to say about it. He was actually on Twitter this morning. He says, Democrats do not want us to detain or send back criminal aliens. This is a brand new demand. Crazy exclamation point. Um. I already explained exactly what they're asking for. They are proposing specifically, just to be specific, they're proposing a 16,500 bed cap. Yeah, you heard that right, too. You're probably thinking how many beds could there be? A couple thousand. 16,500 is the cap they want. And um, they're trying to hamstring law enforcement into not having enough beds so that people who've committed crimes would just be basically released out, back out to commit more crimes. They want to turn America into a sanctuary country. Now, the Democrats got a little bit of much-needed advice from President Trump when he said, he tweeted, the Democrats are so self-righteous and angry, loosen up and have some fun, the country is doing well. Now, he's right about that. And by loosening up and having some fun, what they should do is they should just say, you know what, there's, there's being a part of this party and there's being an American and there's being right. And I've got to be right here. And so let me, let me, get, let me get on the right side of things, you know, all of you guys, you new people, can't unseat all of us. So while we're still in charge, we're going to exercise a little bit of common sense and some power. That's what I wish they would do. Um, so let's go back to the phones. I love it when we have callers. Scott in Tennessee. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Hi, Stacey. Hi. Um, I want to talk about the wall. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, are you aware of uh, Representative Bruce Griffey in Tennessee, 75th District? Um, I don't, not, not specifically. What's he proposing? Well, okay, well, let me tell you what he's done, Stacey. He's introduced legislation in Tennessee to help fund the wall. He's got a, a, a co-sponsor, uh, a senator in Tennessee, and he's, he is uh, trying to help the president and help the country by having the states do what they can to be able to get money for the wall and uh, have this thing be diverted around Congress. Uh, somehow or other, you have to talk to him. He's got the details. I've got the bill. But, uh, of course, he's the, he's the representative, and it would get to Homeland Security. And he hopes to be able to spread this through. He's already got some good positive responses from some of the other reps in different states. But to spread this as many different states as possible who could do this kind of thing, this could be a real big push toward the wall. And also, if a lot of people knew in Tennessee that he's trying to get this bill through, the various um, other districts, a lot of the state of Tennessee can contact their representatives to try to push this thing through to make sure it gets through and uh, it can help the president and help the law. I love it. I lo- and I want to give a little bit more detail, Scott. It's uh, a $10 fee onto money transfers, which are primarily used, the bulk of them are used by people who are in the country, lawfully and unlawfully, to transfer money to other countries. He would add $10 onto each money transfer. Half would go to state agencies to stop money laundering. The other $5 would go to a fund designated to be given to the federal government to be used for border security. I like it. Thank you for telling me about that. I had no idea he'd propose that. Um, and I will share a little bit more about that um, here j- in just a second. I want to make sure we get to all of our callers. Scott, thanks for calling. Barry in Georgia. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, Stacy. Thank you for your Hello. service. And uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. And it seems that everyone has forgotten there was a law passed, I believe, in the late 90s for E-Verify. 
but I believe it became just voluntary and there was never no teeth put in it. I'm all for the wall, don't get me wrong. We need that wall regardless. But if they would put some teeth into this E-Verify, and if they can verify if it's if you're eligible to buy a gun mm-hmm. in, in just a few minutes, mm-hmm. they can decide if you're eligible for employment. You and, got it. And that, that seems to just have been forgotten. Well, because the Democrats and really oppose it, too. I urge everyone to call their representative, their senator. Let's put some teeth in E-Verify that these large, even smaller companies, that they'll be held accountable and it will be expensive for them if they're not using E-Verify. Yeah, and they could designate the funds from the fines to border protection. Oh, the Democrats would oppose that. They, they do oppose putting teeth into E-Verify. They're the ones who took the teeth out of it when it was passed. Um, thanks, Barry. That's a great idea, too. Um, I, now, in... In the interest of sharing all the information, WTVF reports that a Tennessee state representative has proposed this plan. His name is Representative Bruce Griffey. He's a Republican from Paris, Tennessee. And he said the fees would only be applied to money transferred from Tennessee people who are transferring money to Mexico. However, the bill is much broader and at its introduction included money being sent to a location within the United States or a location abroad with no mention of Mexico. So um, clearly, you know, he would be tweaking the bill a little bit. I'm not sure about that part, but he wanted to take away the whole idea that it has to be funded. The wall and border security has to be funded at the federal level. And he's encouraging other states to take the same action. It's such a good idea, mainly because states do have the ability to implement a tax on uh, transfers on, on these money, money transfers. It's really, and if you've ever used them before, if you've ever had a relative send you a Western Union or what have you, you know, it's so easy. You just walk up and you fill out this form. You use your debit card or your credit card to pay, and then they transfer the money to another location. And now they've got it fixed up so that I don't even think you have to go to like the grocery store or a Western Union storefront. You can actually do the transfers via the computer, which means this is something, it's a multi-billion dollar a year um, industry for Americans and people living in America to transfer funds to other countries. And sometimes it's as simple as a mom and dad transferring money to a child who's lost their debit card on a, you know, their junior senior trip abroad, or parents transferring money to kids who are on spring break in another country, or you're transferring money to relatives who live in another country. It's, it's really the, the reasons run the gamut, but it's so important to note that this is an untapped source of billions of dollars in funds Funding the wall is not the issue. Yes, we're fighting over funding it through Congress, but we don't have to. There's so much money flying through the air, literally just flying overhead, that we could take a penny off of. We need $10. We could take a penny off every remittance in this country and build 50 walls if we wanted to. That's how much money is being transferred. One third of Mexico's GDP is transfers from the United States. Does that answer why they let the caravans through? They like what's going on. They like the illegal immigration. Uh, So that's our one. Thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you from the heartland. And don't forget to give at AFR.net to India Partners.